Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Interview with a Trailblazer, hosts Tim Siegel and Lucky Nagarajan will be talking with leaders who forge their own paths within the Deep Foundation's industry. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Tim Siegel, and I'm glad to be here with our co-host, Lucky Nagarajan. Hi, Lucky. Hey, Tim. Great to be here. And welcome, DFI podcast listeners. This is the first episode of our new series called Interview with a Trailblazer. In this podcast, we want to encourage, inspire, and edify. The fact is, we are all constantly asked to take on new challenges, whether at work or at school or at home. Given this, it can be helpful to hear the stories and the wisdom from others who have taken on new challenges and have overcome. We call them trailblazers. Lucky today, we are going to talk about maximizing your value in the workforce. And specifically, we are going to talk about women in industry with our guest. We acknowledge that gender can be a controversial subject. So I think we need to share with our listeners the spirit in which we offer this podcast. You bet, Tim. It's all about we. And there is no them and us. Well, nobody is perfect, but we believe that everyone strives to be the best employee, best coworker, and best supervisor they can be. This is, a, this is a complicated issue. And asking the questions is valuable even if we don't have all the answers. That's awesome. Thank you, Lucky. And our trailblazer in the podcast is Jennifer Haddock who has enjoyed a very successful career, and she is now the marketing communications manager with Aldridge Electric. I think we can all agree that women of a certain age can remember when men were dominant in supervisory roles. It has changed in recent past, recent years, but it could be argued that some bias still remains. Jennifer is going to share with us her challenges and give us all advice on how to overcome that. Super. Lucky, could you tell us a little bit more about what Jen will be talking about? Yes, Tim. Jen is remarkable. And she will be talking about her journey within Aldridge, challenges that she has faced, her colleagues who have helped along her journey, company transformation, which is my favorite, and constant need of each of us to examine ourselves. And the best thing is to bring us out the best in each other as well. That sounds, that sounds so awesome. That's, that's exciting. Um, okay. So let's uh, introduce Jen. Jen, welcome. Thank you so welcome, much for having Jen. me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, in our kind of our pre-show warm up, we learned that you were born and raised in Chicago. Um, can you give us a little bit of, of history on how you ended up pursuing a career in foundations, power transmission, and really the overall utility industry? 
Certainly. So I'm born and raised in Chicago. I'm from the Northwest side and I grew up in a very blue collar neighborhood that was full of a lot of construction workers and EMTs, firefighters and policemen. Uh, my father himself was a tuck pointer. So from an early age, I was introduced to that sort of lifestyle. Wait, no, what, grow- what, what, did your, what was your dad? Tell me. He, he was a tuck pointer. You got to explain that to me. I'm, yeah, I'm not... I have no idea. What oh, so it's <laughs> sort of a lost art, I will tell you. But okay. when you look at the beautiful facades uh, with brick laying, it's really the retransformation of that to ensure the integrity of architecture is maintained. Uh, which really fits into living in Chicago and growing up surrounded by beautiful architecture, really kind of gave me the idea that construction might be something I would be interested in. So when I had an opportunity to work in something sort of related to architecture, um, I, I jumped on it and Little did I know that it would parlay into a career that would eventually lead me into the power and energy world. Wow. Okay. So just, so the tuck pointer, it sounds like it's a combination of, of like skill and probably a good bit of labor. Is that correct? Is that fair to say? Yes. Scaffolding the side of the, you know, scaling the sides of buildings to repair some brickwork. Absolutely. Lots of labor involved. Wow. That, and I, I could see how that would be inspiring. So in a way, you you kind of feel like you followed in your dad's footsteps, at least going into the construction industry? It gave me a sense of connection to him. Um, I did lose my father at a very young age, and um, I was seven years old when he passed. So having those memories kind of uh, disappear out of my mind, the older I got, you know, any memory or anything I could cling to that would help me feel connected to him certainly was attractive. Gotcha. And so maybe that was part of the motivation. Let me, so when you started to tell your, uh, tell your friends or your, maybe your teachers uh, at some point telling others that you were interested in probably going into a a career that at the time was mostly male dominated. Did you get some feedback? You know, I never really considered any challenges that being in a very male dominated industry would present because of the gender. Um, You know, growing up surrounded by like-minded construction individuals, I just immediately kind of felt that sense of belonging. So I can't say that I really dealt with any of that feedback from my family and friends about being a woman in a role in the construction yeah, that's, world. That's, that's great to hear. That's really great to hear. Yeah. And and Jen, uh, you just mentioned about losing your dad at an early age. Do you have any memories of going with him to any of his job sites? I, not when he was a tuck pointer. Uh, that, you know, that work was very seasonal, as a lot of construction work can be. Um, and some of my memories just were of emulating him. You know, I've got some great photos mowing my bubble mower next to him while he's mowing the lawn. And um, he was a fast freight driver in the off season. So I remember being with him on some shorter trips and things like that, but never got to see the tuck pointing in action as far as I remember at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can imagine like now when I walk through New York in the urban setting and, you know, in between the buildings, when I see someone doing something like that, now I will think about you and your dad always, (laughs) 
I always would think like, you know, when people were up there doing something in the scaffolds and stuff, I would always feel like, oh my God, that is such a cool job. <laughs> you know, that's such a cool job. So now I know. Um, and clearly now we see that you're a very good storyteller. <laughs> You know, you're a good storyteller and uh, I do know that you're a good journalist. Uh, we will get to it in a little bit. Were you always like that? Or how did you realize that you were a good storyteller and journalist and build those skills or build those skills along the way? My family will tell you I was born a storyteller. I have a flair for their dramatics and that became very apparent at a young age. Uh, they really thought I would pursue a career in acting, and my uh, my my nickname was Sarah the Actress because of my dramatics. Um, but I really started with a love for writing, like very early on in school with the Young Authors Program, and that was shortly thereafter noticed by the middle school paper, where they asked me to become a journalist. Um, I, I shortly thereafter became the editor of that paper. Then when I entered high school, I had the opportunity to take some honors journalism classes and become a journalist for that school paper and then eventually be moved on to an editor. Mm -hmm. um, and I had mentioned that my dad passed when I was very young. So I do, I was very lucky in my life to have two fathers bless my life. Um, my mother met my second father when I was 11 years old. And he really was with me through my formative years and helped to nurture the writer within me. He would rip up things I would write and tell me I could do better. And I would storm away in the throes of puberty, you know, very angsty towards him. But um, I appreciate that drive that he built inside of me. And when I started my career and started, um, you know, moving through different roles, he would tell me, you're not even hitting your potential here yet. You really should be the company reporter. And yeah. um, I unfortunately lost that dad uh, several years ago. So the fact that I am actually now the company reporter is, I'll get a little emotional talking about it, but um, it's really kind of another, you know, nod to my father pushing me in that way. Now, that's a wonderful, wonderful, inspiring story, I would say. Um, you know, a lot of uh, daughters can relate to some of the things that you've just mentioned, how you, you know, get shape, get get into the careers that you get into, and then, you know, how you shape your uh, uh, future just from that one person in your family, right? It can be father or mother, or it can be both. Um, so uh, that, that was wonderful. Um, I want to get to the heart of the conversation. You know, you've been in industry for the last 16 years. And over that time, there has been a great deal of change in our society and also work culture and work environment. What was it like for you when you started out? And in 16 years, where you are today, what are the some, some of the differences that you have noticed or you notice every day that exists today? I would say that the changes are very noticeable. And I'll get into that. But for a very long time, I just really felt like an unnurtured talent, you know, starting out um, 
starting as an intern, you just, you know, your foot is in the door and you're kind of willing to do the grunt work, whatever it takes to be seen and appreciated for the work that you can provide. Um, and at that time, there was a lot of volatility in the economy. We were heading into a recession time. So um, I fell into an administrative role and that brought a lot of barriers to overcome um, and get my colleagues to recognize the other talents that I could bring to the table. As a woman, I feel that it's easy to be seen as nothing more than an admin. And I worked really hard over the years to help break that prejudice. But today I would say it's pretty rare that I see women in our company and in, in the industry overall being overlooked simply for their gender. And that thought is really a breath of fresh air. So it's just that every day being included in a conversation, seeing other women leaders be recognized and right at the same level with their male counterparts, it wouldn't be anything that I would have imagined we would have equality in today and it's really nice to see oh yeah and that is that is uh very true i remember some of the things that you said you know when you go to a meeting you're expected to take notes because uh you're good at taking notes that's the polite way of saying like yes you're good at taking notes why don't you just take notes <laughs> you know and and i think you know there has been so many times that when I have been in the construction industry and being in the field, uh, you know, with so many contractors have also had so much of backup from the team members who've been on site to make sure to tell the others uh, who are working with me that I am the boss. She is an engineer and she is the boss and you, she is, she knows what she's talking about and you have to pass the tests and everything else that you do um, on site through her. You know, I've had a project where that happened and that was like, I was super happy to hear that, that someone was telling everyone else, like 120, uh, you know, construction workers and I was the only female engineer and that was such a breath of fresh air. So uh, it's clearly, as you said, that has been a transformation. I mean, that's absolutely. That's encouraging to hear. I mean, I, I mean, I do remember, and I, I mean, I, I went to school, what, thirty-five years ago or longer. But, um, you know, I do remember that the ratio at at Georgia Tech, uh, I think it was seven guys to one, and that's in the entire school. And then when you got into engineering, it was more like 20 uh, guys to one female. And it, I mean, it, it, it's much better as we begin, yeah. begin to balance. I, you know, I thought, I'd, and Lucky, you had uh, suggested this early on when we had this idea to have this podcast is to bring in a few statistics. And and I think it's a great idea. I, I do, I, 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 in tongue in cheek, I remember what, what, uh, Mark Twain used to say about statistics, he said, there's, there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics and kind of a, you know, tongue in cheek that you can make them out to be what you want them to be. But with that, some are very informative. And, um, one of the things that you brought up, uh, lucky was, uh, a, a U.S. Census Bureau, a 2021 report that said that only 17% of full-time civil engineers were female. 
So that kind of gives you a feel of, of the imbalance and, uh, you know, and then you might say to yourself, well, what if we break it down with ethnicity? It basically comes out the same. Uh, it, it really is. It, so it does go even kind of cross-culturally uh, in some respects. Um, my own anecdotal and unscientific observation is that certainly throughout my career, men have historically dominated STEM fields. Uh, but um, it's changing. And not only is it changing, but the rate of change is increasing. And so you're really seeing, I mean, I think just even recently uh, looking at like the DFI, some of the uh, scholarships that were given, oh my gosh, uh, uh, lots of young ladies are choosing the STEM path. And so anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there as we're talking about it. Yeah, true, true, Tim. Um, I think, you know, that there was a reason why we were looking at the statistics too. And uh, it's really nice that you mentioned DFI and the Minity Foundations, you know, the trust and everything else in the scholarship. Um, so we give, Women the foundations gives uh, five or six development grants every year. And uh, uh, we had, uh, before COVID, uh, you know, we used to see a lot of applications. And in the last few years, the applications had gone down. And this year, uh, we got 28 applications. And when we review the applications from the young women who have been in the industry and students who are in the, who are thinking about coming to the industry, like it just, you know, uh, really warms my heart to see the passion they have and the reason why they're getting into this industry and, and the people who are actually influencing them to get into this industry. It's remarkable. It's remarkable to see how that is changing. So there no is- question. And, and, and with yeah. great impact, which is, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, it's not that that I mean, there's no indication that the doors have been opened and uh, and then basically it's just for namesake. There's every indication that these changes that are happening have great impact. And those uh, 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 women that are moving into it are taking full advantage of the opportunity they've got which is yeah. really and, credit to them. And definitely Jen can relate to this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's an old, day, old adage that says that women have to work twice as hard as men to be thought of as half as good. You know, this gives me a laugh every time I think about this. <laughs> Uh, uh, at some point in, in, in my career, I saw this and have felt it for sure. Even today, I feel like, oh my God, I have to take care of this a little bit more, uh, you know, cross a little bit more. Um, Jen, you had referenced the World Economic Forum's 2022 Global Gender Gap Index Report in your recent ADSC article, which was titled, The Key to Overcoming Imposter Syndrome, become a women in construction all right so we, we we do need to uh explain to our audience what is the imposter syndrome so jen could you help me there yes i sure can i would say really at its bedrock it's it's self-doubt right it's really about not embracing and leaning into your successes that you work so hard to achieve. So it really goes back to 
feeling like you have to work twice as hard for that achievement. And when you do finally get the success, you're like, is this actually happening to me? Can I take credit for this? Or is it built on the success of someone else? So it's uh, okay. about overcoming that self-doubt and building confidence to lean into your achievements. So the imposter syndrome in this case would be felt by the woman in construction that her success and abilities are not due to herself, but she feels like they she somehow fooled other people or perhaps owe somebody else. Uh, for that impression. Is that kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm gathering? I would say in general, that is the definition, but being in construction, I think helps to eliminate all of that because the construction industry offers a lot of self-confidence boosting okay. uh, opportunities and you really feel empowered to take ownership of what you're doing. You know, if you are um, you know, craft laborer and your boots on the ground and you're you're proud of what you're working on. There's no one who could take credit for the part that you had in that. And that's really what the article focused on was, are you, are you having that self-doubt? Do you feel like you're an imposter? Well, here's one way to reconsider that. Join the construction industry because we're lifting each other up and we're offering a pathway to that self-confidence to help empower your career through here and in the industry overall. Well, let me ask you, since you brought that up, do you, what, what do you, what are you seeing do you, in, in you, the circle that you operate in? Are you seeing uh, women entering in the trades uh, as well as in perhaps on the engineering side, or is it one or the other that's more dominant? I would say in general, we've seen a large influx of women entering the industry, both on the trade side and uh, engineering, estimating, uh, construction management and project management. And, you know, the construction industry is offering those opportunities to continue to grow your skill set and just really, you know, empower yourself and your career growth by giving endless opportunities at a time when infrastructure is just booming. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the conversation you and Tim were having regarding the imposter syndrome. Um, as we were talking, Jen, I think uh, the article was also focused on imposter syndrome and also was talking about how to overcome that. So, what was the point in your career that you felt like you were victim of this imposter syndrome and how did you overcome that? I would say I spent a large portion of my career feeling that way. You know, I, I mentioned that um, we dealt with uh, some economic volatility early on in my career and that kind of pigeon held me into an administrative role when the industry was stagnant and new work wasn't rolling in. Um, I was very thankful to just continue to be working at a time when so many others weren't. So I didn't, I tried not to let it affect me. I used the opportunity to grow my family um, and focus on family life instead of leaning into career growth at the time. And um, that afforded me the opportunity to start to move 
throughout the company and take on different roles. So it was when I started, you know, once my children were born and I started kind of bouncing around the company and picking up different skills that started to empower me a little bit more like, okay, I don't just need to be considered an admin, you know, or an office manager or someone who just can always, you know, get it done. What needs to get done, I can be thought of as strategic and a partner to be brought into conversations and help guide. Um, I think the switch really changed for me when I moved into an executive assistant position where I had uh, exposure to senior leadership and executives. And, you know, without a you know, without a doubt, my boss, a man, right, who knew me for many years said, okay, Jen, let's lead this meeting. And whoo, that surprised me that he was offering that to me. So that sparked something in me and made me start to think of myself in a different way. Like, okay, maybe I can do this and I don't need to be held in this position. And if I could do that, what else can I do? And I kept, you know, I, set out on this journey to be a continuous student and always learn and enhance my skills. And I use the small company family feel of Aldridge to dip my toe into other areas. And that gave me some opportunity to partner with other departments. And it was then when I started moving into the marketing department and was sort of plucked and poached <laughs> to move over there. Um, and that gave me a whole different voice and a whole different means to showcase my talents in, in the company. And I think that really it's just like exploded from there. I've had endless opportunities to try new things and be a part of really important company initiatives, um, be a part of industry initiatives as industry changes and grows. So it's really just been quite a journey that's happened with many big milestones along the way. Yeah, that's such a great feeling. That's such a great feeling when someone recognizes your potential and says like, no, you're more than what you can be and pushes you in the right, right direction. Um, and that's where, you know, doors open up for you. And then that's where you actually start getting into your mind and saying like, you are the best in what you do. You know, um, that was wonderful, wonderful to hear. Um, I, I want to go back to the 2022 gender gap index report, you know, uh, which actually said that the current rate of progress, the gender gap, global gender gap, uh, gap will be closed in 132 years. Um, it reports, it also reports that top 10 ec economies have closed at least 80% of their gender gaps with Iceland being 90.8% leading the global ranking. More, uh, more regionally, if we think about North America, uh, you know, uh, they have closed 76.9% of its gender, gra uh, gender gap, uh, which is followed by Europe, which is 766 As we have seen in the last few years or so in this industry, uh, this industry itself has developed awareness and has become, you know, the leader in leading and making strides. Uh, can you share uh, with us your take on this? This was, uh, for the listeners, this is the ADSC magazine that was, uh, what edition was that, Jen? The edition- That was the Women in Construction. Construction, yeah. Yep. Um, so 
can you share your take on this uh, regarding this uh, report and what it was included? Sure. When I sat down to write that article, you know, I, I really had to think about what angle I wanted to take. And I knew that talking at least for a moment about the wage gap needed to be included in it. And, you know, the wage gap is real and women see it everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of inequities in every industry, you know, and in every part of the country. And I think that in fact, the construction industry is making large strides to close that gap and recognize women for their contributions and not for their gender identity. That's without even considering labor laws, right? So if you are thinking about getting into the trades, like th there's nothing better if you want equality in pay than something that they have to disclose what everyone is making. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, and and I feel like you know um, I want to ask you also like you know how do you how do you see this gender gap within Aldridge and do you I know in the article also it did mention that Aldridge has taken the strides to close the gender gap. What were the strides they were able to take and help people understand, uh, you know, the the equity behind gender gap and the equity behind closing the gender gap? You know, I'll be very transparent with you guys. I think that like many companies, um, any DEI effort is start, it starts a little self-serving, right? It's something that you know that you have to do um, and you get your executive and, and senior leadership buy-in, but then where do you begin? And um, as we started to grapple with how we were going to approach this um, and create a more diverse workforce, started making some pointed efforts to change and that very quickly was able to bring us different perspectives and skill sets that really have helped us foster and drive innovation, deliver safety solutions, and allow us to serve our customers better, which really is the our core values here at Aldridge. So it was an easy transition of thought to think we really need to bring in more diverse candidates and how can we make an effort to do that? Yeah, um, I think uh, uh, since Women in the Foundation started, I'm going back to Women in the Foundations because um, since it started, we will be 10 years next year. I can't believe like in 10 years, all the things that we've been able to do. At the same time, the members of the committee have gone back to their companies and have requested to start Women in the Foundation, I mean, uh, women in their own companies uh, as a, a group. And as you said, Jen, I think it all starts from the top. You know, you need to have that top one or two people involved in that group that you are thinking about making a transformation. I'm not even talking about women in, you know, uh, companies. I'm talking about everyone who thinks differently within companies, right? Like we all think differently. Um, so for us to be, uh, uh, for us to feel equity um, and inclusion, there is a lot that has to go behind it. Um, that's That's very true. Jen, we uh, we understand that your employer Aldrich Electric recognized the imbalance of men and women in their organization. You mentioned that you discussed it, and they took concrete steps to increase the number of women. Tell me, what were some of the indicators that you saw that that was being successful, and what overall did it look like? 
I would say that we started off um, we started off very small and with some pointed efforts. We thought, where can we make an impasse an impact first? And where can we take it from there? So it was easy for us to point focus to our intern program, since this was temporary employees that would be here. Um, each year, we have increased the number of interns. So this was a couple of years ago now. We said, okay, if we're going to bring more women to the workforce, let's try it with our intern class. Um, and we do hire most of our interns. I myself started here as an intern. So we use that opportunity to start to market um, to different universities and different majors like that woman might lean into. We even had a pink hard hat and now hiring women in construction sign on some of our career booths. So it was a very pointed effort, um, but that really helped cascade the change throughout the organization. When we saw that, it got initial interest from our executive team, including our chairman of the board, Ken, who was very interested in why we chose to increase the, the women in our class and how was that working out for us. So um, we're happy to say that that's really held true over the last several years where we've had, we've brought in more diverse candidates, not just women, into that intern class, because these are the future leaders of not only the industry, but potentially our company. We do like to hire our interns and eventually that's going to challenge the status quo, even if that imbalance may be present today. Very true, very true. Um, I do have uh, a question to ask. Uh, I want to go back to the internship program. So the interns, what were the tasks like for them? Like were they working a lot more in the office or were they going in the field as well? We offer a wide range of opportunities through our internship program where you're you're paired with a mentor and it's typically a senior level person who's been here for a while working in a variety of roles from operations, project management, estimating, procurement, marketing, IT development. So mm -hmm. there are plenty of opportunities. A lot of our project manager interns, um, dependent on the project, are field-based. Um, we have safety interns. I recall two safety interns when they gave their presentation presentation. They added up all of the miles that they traveled that summer. They traveled like 2,600 miles over the course of their summer to reach different projects because that was their internship. They were boots on the ground with the crews on site um, doing safety observations. And even in marketing, you know, taking photos photos and content gathering, creating videos. We offer our intern plenty of opportunities to be out in the field. So, um, you know, no two days are different here at Aldridge. And even if you're hired for a desk job, we make it a point to get our interns out into the field. On their second day, they're already visiting a job site to see the work in action. Sure. Um, so another question pops up because you were talking about the field and stuff. Um, were there any specific changes that Aldridge had to um, that Aldridge had to do uh, for interns to be in the field and with respect to safety and with respect to anything specifically that they required? We do give a pretty comprehensive safety orientation prior to them arriving out on site. We adorn them with their proper PPE. Um, 
you know, that lead-in information before their internship starts lets them know that they need to have steel or composite toe boots and long pants and the rest we kind of provide to them. So we're not just sending them there out there blind um, and they're definitely escorted by safety professionals as well as project staff to make sure that they're not, you know, going somewhere they shouldn't or touching something that they shouldn't be touching. So there's a lot of guidance that goes into that, definitely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, at the same time, I, I want to hear a little bit more about women in Aldridge. Uh, when I read the article, again, I'm going back to the ADSC article, women in Aldridge, and I did see a foreman, women foreman, who was in the picture as well. I want to know more about uh, uh the program and also about that foreman. Well, I'm happy to report that um, Natalie is not our only woman foreman here. And um, we do have uh, a percentage of women who have management roles in the field, um, you know, foreman and general foreman, as well as safety management. So we have about 140 women across the company. And when we were leaning into those efforts to bring more women into the industry, those efforts really snowballed into this community, which is our first ever employee resource group that we've named the Women of Aldridge. Um, so it was, you know, loosely started as a peer group, but it really quickly became a fundamental element of our DEI efforts. What other different activities do you do? Well, we... Throughout the year, we provide different resources. We have newsletters, um, virtual lunch and learns. Um, we're hosting our very first power hour that's specific to women about the steps to take to empower your career. Um, we also get together and offer job site visits to our more office-based women employees to get them out to see the work. You know, there's to us, there's really no better way to connect what we do than to just get out onto site and see it. Um, and offering that to someone, perhaps in accounting, who might not otherwise see it, is something that we can offer. And the highlight of the program is really this annual summit that we put together. It's just a day of learning, growing, and networking. Um, last year kicked off our inaugural summit, and I'm pleased to say that planning for summit 2023 is well underway. Um, I'm excited to help chair the event that will be taking place in August, and we even include our women interns. We make a point to do it while they're still here so that they get that experience as well. You know, just overall, I, I don't really want to diminish the tremendous efforts by women and particularly the women at Aldrich and and all the women that are moving into it. But, you know, your story uh, to broaden things a little bit uh, is applicable to all genders. Right. I mean, we've got Jen, you mentioned coming up, hitting challenges. Think about where you were at, like you said, at the beginning of the recession, what? 15, 16 years ago to where you're at now and you're you're going with a summit, you're, you mentioned the watershed moment where you were invited to lead a meeting with executives. Um, your story is about meeting challenges in the workplace, finding a path to overcome, and then finding a way to maximize your value and 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 everyone's value in the industry and society. That recipe, is universal. Absolutely, it is. You know, with that in mind, Jen, 
what would you say is your mantra or uh, your keywords of advice for our listeners um, on how to do what you do and what you have done? Just never give up. You know, I like to think of myself as this forever student on a journey to being my best self. And, you know, as adults, we know like that journey is is not easy, right? But it becomes a part of your story and that's a story worth telling. Yeah. And and I have to ask you, with all the experience that you've gotten and all the interactions, you know, and the programs that you have been able to be part of and you're chairing the next summit, which is super exciting. Do you have a crazy story that you would like to share with us? <laughs> a we crazy story crazy about, <laughs> about being a woman in construction or give me some more context. <laughs> any any story there. Are, so uh, just an, as an example, like, you know, being, uh, you know, working in different markets i've worked in a, a lot of different markets and different uh, uh culture and environments and i can think of like you know how crazy it can get uh at times um working in uh usa or brazil or india or there are a lot of different things and also like you know in different environments being very cold or very hot or uh being a very exciting person who is working with you You'll always have stories. So you can share any, share any story that comes to mind. So that that does spark a story for me. Um, as the company journalist, um, I, you know, I, I find myself to be the voice and I have the honor and privilege of sharing the stories. So um, we were working on a project in downtown Chicago on our mass transit line. And that work gets done. It's critical work where they shut the, shut the system down for 54 hours um, so that we can work on the rail lines before they re-energize it. So critical work, it's over the course of a weekend so that it doesn't disrupt, you know, commuters of Chicago moving around. And we we knew we had to tell this story and we knew we needed some great photos for it. So, you know, I reached out to the project manager and I said, you got to get me out on this job. And he goes, Jen, it's the middle of winter and it's in a really bad neighborhood in Chicago. And it's going to happen at like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, okay, what's the question? I asked to go and he's like, okay, well, if you're okay with all of those conditions, let's go. So, you know, four layers later and a thermos full of hot cocoa, uh, I was ready to go. And I spent six hours up on the elevated tracks of the west side of Chicago when it was negative 15 degrees outside capturing those photos. And we had our crews and subcontractors looking at me as the only woman on site, like, is she okay? Is she going to be okay? Is she I, I'm like, I'm fine. You want some hot chocolate? Can I take your photo? Like, come on, guys, there's nothing to worry about here. So I'll tell you, I kind of earned some stripes that day with the crew about how I can hang. Um, and they gave me, it gave me a new, uh, newfound respect, you know, newfound respect for me through that. That's awesome. Yeah. Anybody that can, I like it. I'm sure Tim has a story too. Oh, oh, well, so I've many got, stories. Uh, I, I certainly, I, I love it. I, I've spent plenty of times, uh, whether it was extremely cold or extremely hot. I've been on the barge in Charleston, South Carolina, in the middle of summer, and I've been uh, in the middle of winter on on a river in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Anybody that's willing to step out there like Jen did and and live with the elements, even though your mind is telling you 
that you want to go inside and find and take your shoes off and warm up. Yeah. Uh, that says a lot about uh, your internal fortitude for sure. Very true. You no, know, Lucky and I have had the pleasure uh, of getting to know Jen Hudock and, and what she has gone through uh, to be a trailblazer. Uh, she was inspired by her, her, her two dads. Um, she met a, uh, you know, she came into a workforce where it was male dominated, uh, but she found a way to leverage her skills and with the help of people recognizing that, and we all need that, um, she was able to, to blossom and flourish. And not only that, but reach around and, and lift others up, which says a lot uh, if you're willing to do that. And we all should aspire to do that. We all need mentors. Uh, uh, you know, we need to, you know, the old term, uh, paying it forward. Um, Lucky, um, uh, tell me I, I, something that, that, that I've kind of battled with going through this whole discussion. And I'd, I'd like to get your opinion. My daughter's uh, in engineering school. Um, she works extremely hard. Mm -hmm. But she gets folks that will say every once in a while, you're only in en the engineering program because you're a woman and they wanted more women. I, it, it makes me ill when I hear that because I know how hard she works. But where do we find that? Where do we find that balance in what we do of saying we want the opportunity, but that we want the opportunity to work hard and prove ourselves rather than saying we want it to be given to us? Where do we find that balance? As where, where do you find that balance as a woman? No, that's that's very heartbreaking, Tim. That's very heartbreaking to hear that there are people who still say something like that, you know. Uh, and and to be frank, I have gone through that too. I would imagine you have. I would imagine most women yeah. have experienced that. Um, I mean, Jen, please chime in. What, what, how, how do you use women? I think that's something that you have to walk that line. And uh, anyway, I, I wanted your both your feedback on that. I will let Jen talk first. Yeah, I think that, you know, we never really get away from bullies in life. And um, some people just are not as kind hearted as we hope that they may be. So I think that, you know, I'm with Lucky, right? It's really unfortunate that those things are still being said, but I feel like we're moving to a place where that's going to be fewer and far between. And eventually it will no longer be. Um, and we can take steps today as women to be seen differently to help those future generations just like the women before us so it's hard not to get discouraged when you hear those things but ultimately it just makes you a stronger person and when you persevere through all of that that's when you are gaining the respect of your colleagues and your male counterparts around you to say wow okay she's a little tougher than i thought or got that thicker skin and respect yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I have learned in the last so many years is like, um, be noticeable, you know, be noticeable. That's number one. Um, as man or a woman, I think we all have the problem with 
talking about what we do. Some men do have, you know, some women do have that uh, knack uh, for bragging what they do. I am not calling it in a bad way, bad way of bragging, but uh, for your daughter, I think when she hears that, it definitely demoralizes her. But at the same time, I think if she can find role models like Jen, so many of the other kinds of role models that we have seen in the industry, if they can be part of something like that where other role models talk to them and say, this is how I came up to where I am today, that will be a game changer. That is what we are trying to, uh, you know, in the industry do different kinds of activities where we can talk about this and tell them that, hey, this is how I've got gotten here. When I started, I was Alice in the Wonderland. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. But then over a period of time, I had uh, so many friends, mentors and influencers. And this is how I've been able to get there. Uh, that is where we should be going, I think. Start them young, talk to them, get there. I'll tell you what her, her father says, which is me. Oh, yes. When she tells me that somebody told her the only reason why she got into Georgia Tech was she's a woman. I tell her to tell them back is that it's not Georgia Tech's not tough for getting in. It's tough for getting out. <laughs> Let's see how fast you can get out. That's what you that's should say. That's right. <laughs> if you can get out, that's all that matters. Getting in. No, that was very good. good. Very good question, Tim. I really appreciate it. All right. That. Well, Lucky, um, uh, anything else we need to talk about as we close? Anything we want to bring up with Jen? Or Jen, uh, anything else you want to bring up as we close? I just want to say, like, you know, as um, as anybody who's looking to empower their career, like, you know, be the change that you want to see, right? Um, we talked a lot about how our, our male counterparts look at women, um, but there's a whole other side of the story where, you know, women aren't always supporting women either. So I'll leave it as just like, like be kind and be that change that you want to see. No one gets to uh, success alone. It's all about, you know, having some help along the way and you'll feel more fulfilled for helping someone else. And there's nothing better than to see success stories play out. Rise by lifting others. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. What yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. This was wonderful. And I think we really appreciate you being honest and transparent and sharing, uh, you know, who you have become. Jen, Thank you. it's great to have you to kick off our, uh, our first episode of interview with a trailblazer. I am Thank honored. You. Thank you all so much for the opportunity. This was amazing. Cool. Thank you. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.